good morning. For, for those of you whom I don't know, I am Kathy Lynch, and I am honored to be speaking to you today as I was honored to be a part of this church's service mission to Favorito, Cuba, last week. I think every member of our group had a very profound and deep experience in Cuba, each in his or her own unique way. That is part of the magic of our trip. So I encourage each of you to speak individually with all the members of our group to hear everyone's impressions and experiences. I went to Cuba because I thought it would be a really interesting country to see. I hoped to be useful in installing a water treatment system. What I didn't realize before and could have never anticipated was the friendships we would form and the depth of experience we would have in five short days in Favorito. We were welcomed with open arms, open hearts, and overflowing love. And when we left, each of our hearts had been cracked wide open. But before we talk more about love, I'd like to share with you some of my basic impressions of Cuba. To me, the country is a land of contrasts. Vast, surprisingly well-maintained highways are a shared route for old cars, new cars, buses, bicycles, pedestrians, and horse-drawn wagons. No one seemed to mind sharing the roads. We made our way from Havana to Favorito on an aging blue school bus owned, I believe, by the Episcopal Church. Once at our destination, we were fortunate to travel between Itabo, the larger town where we stayed, and Favorito by horse-drawn wagon, about a mile distance. And I was struck to see the school-aged children also piled into a horse-drawn wagon at the end of their school day to be dropped off at home in the village. Dirt is everywhere. Red dirt seeps through your shoes and into your pores no matter where you walk. Yet the locals are always crisply dressed in freshly laundered clothes with no sign of dirt and little sign of wear. When we arrived back in Atabo at the end of a workday, we were immediately ushered out of the kitchen by all of the sweet ladies who worked there because we were so dirty, I don't think they could stand it. <laughs> Most vacant land in Cuba is owned by the government, yet somehow the Episcopal Church in Atabo has five acres of productive, lush gardens with rows and rows of tomatoes, lettuce, herbs, pineapples, bananas, even a starfruit tree graced the inner courtyard near the kitchen where we had our meals. The church tends to pigs, rabbits, chickens, and turkeys. On the day we left, the workers prepared large vats of homemade tomato sauce, simmered over an open fire to be sold at the front gates of the church Friday at noon, as advertised by a handwritten sign affixed to the gate, bring your own clean jar. Many private homes in the town were dilapidated structurally, but the interiors were tidy and furnished lovingly with simple, modest belongings. The lodging facilities in Atabo for church group-like ours were simple, yet clean and comfortable. And the beautiful kitchen staff provided three delicious meals a day, which included fresh-squeezed juice, rice, beans, soup, and savory meats. Tony, the lead chef, explained sweetly to us that even though they don't always have all the ingredients they would like to prepare the dishes planned, they always have the most important ingredient of all, love. Despite a life lived by the simplest means without access to many of the goods and services enjoyed in our country, 
The Cuban people are proud to be Cuban and are very grateful for the good life they have. An aging but functional water delivery infrastructure exists. Yet the old rusty water storage tank for the village provides no assurances that the water delivered at the end of the pipe is potable. And that's where we came in. Through the generous generosity of all of you and this church, we were able to arrive in Cuba with the ultraviolet bulbs, filters, pipes, and various plumbing fixtures necessary to install a water treatment system in the backyard of the Favorito Church. The system essentially provides a bypass to treat the water as it travels from an above-ground storage tank to the spigot in the yard of the church. Now complete, anyone is welcome to come and fill their water jugs with clean water. We witnessed this just up the road in Atabo, where a treatment system had already been installed. And all day, every day, locals come, usually by bicycle, sometimes several people on one bicycle, <laughs> or on foot, to fill their jugs with potable water just inside the front gates of the church. We were also lucky enough to have an absolute ace, engineer, installer, problem solver, and all-around fabulous guy join our group from New York by the name of Michael Pollock. This was the fourth treatment system Michael has installed in Cuba, including one at the Episcopal Cathedral in Havana. Perhaps the most impressive thing about Michael was his beautiful way of giving both Americans and Cubans alike just enough instruction to get a project started, but at the same time, the freedom to figure out completion of the task without being micromanaged. Michael truly was the embodiment of the proverb, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and you'll feed him for a lifetime. I think we all left our time with Michael hoping that he will continue to be able to oversee installation of many more water treatment systems throughout Cuba. Other members of our team were instrumental in the treatment system installation. Measurements were taken, trenches were dug, any leaks sprung in the existing water lines during the trenching were fixed, holes were patched, and Teflon tape was applied. We quickly learned, though, that we had many extra hands. After repeated insistence that we would like to help in any way that we could, many of us performed some landscaping tasks in the yard. We moved, raked, and smoothed a lot of red dirt around a grove of coffee trees, nobly fighting to establish themselves in the dry soil. It took us a few days to realize, however, that what our friends in Favorito were really hoping we'd do was just spend time with them. Just sitting in the yard visiting, with or without an interpreter, listening to their health concerns, making necklaces or eyeglass holders with beads, painting fingernails, jumping rope, or playing cards, guitar, frisbee, or soccer with the kids and young adults. These little, seemingly innocuous moments really turned out to be, for me, the richest experiences of the trip. One afternoon, the village matriarch, a woman by the name of Aleda, led us around to say hello to the townspeople. At every house where the occupants were home, the inhabitants came out to greet us with a warm smile. One of our group members brought a Polaroid camera, which allowed us to take impromptu, candid photos of children and their families and give them to them on the spot. We also had stickers and candy that we shared with the children. Word seemed to quickly spread about our tour, and soon we were joined by probably every school-aged child in that town. Not once were we greeted with anything but warmth and with warmth and affection. A special moment for me was when a boy aged around nine or 10 years old asked if I would like to ride his horse. 
He led me up and down the street, and as I later learned after I dismounted, he hurried home to ask his grandfather, who owns the horse, if he could come back to get a photo of him and me together. Once we were both back on, we rode the streets. He was so proud, and despite my repeats of, mas rapido, por favor, mas rapido, por favor, he was careful with the horse and with me, and I loved every minute of it. It's funny, I guess I thought we were going to Cuba to give our gifts, talents, and material goods to the people of Favorito. Don't get me wrong, potable drinking water is no doubt an immense gift. We also brought hundreds of pounds of donated items, including medicine, eyeglasses, clothing, shoes, office supplies, sports equipment, toys, and more. But it was really us, the Americans, who received the biggest gift of all from the Cubans, that of unconditional love. By the standard metrics we use to measure wealth, the Cuban people have so little, practically nothing. Few electric appliances, very little technology, limited access to vehicles, and only an assortment of the types of things you and I might run to Kmart to get on any given day. The simplest things like soap, underwear, tools, and tape are hard to come by and quite expensive. Yet, by the most important metric, the Cuban people have everything, love. One of my favorite scholars, Deepak Chopra, says that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience but rather we are spiritual beings having a human experience. If this is true, that we are at our core souls who have come to earth to have a human experience, why are we here? <laughs> what is the purpose of this experience? I think we could all agree it is not to amass as much material wealth as possible or to pack our schedule so tightly that we don't have time to spend with family or friends or to become so stressed out trying to do all of that that we sacrifice our health? Could it be that the ultimate reason for our existence is to know love, to really know love, the kind of love that transcends materialism, greed, jealousy, and all the other undesirable attributes addressed in the self-help books that line the shelves at the bookstore? The kind of love that allows you to give everything even though you have nothing. The kind of love that allows you to be grateful for every day as it unfolds exactly as it was meant to be. If this is true, that it is all about love, then in my experience, the people of Cuba have mastered the meaning of life. Thank you.